the deep truth about revival. The deep truth about revival. Lord, tonight you want to open to us the depths of your heart. You want to teach us the path of revival. I pray, Lord, that this ground that we've walked over so many times will not be packed down and hard. But I pray tonight, Lord, you'll plow up new ground in my heart and in this people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The old timers referred to revival as a time when the heavens are rent. The heavens are rent. In the Welsh revival, they spoke about it by saying that the atmosphere changed. Revival was in the atmosphere. It could be felt. It was real. But what is the truth of how revival comes? There's a passage of scripture. We're all familiar with it. Tonight we're going to walk in the depths of it. Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's be very analytical about this passage of Scripture. We are told that if we will do four things, God will do three things. If we will do four things, God will do three things. And the first thing he tells us to do, if my people, that is people who have made a covenant to serve the living God, people who are called by the name of the Lord, are you all Christians tonight? I think some of you must be pagans. I ask the question and you sit looking at me with your, your mouth hanging open. Like, duh. Hey, wake up, people. How many in this house are Christian? I see some hands that are up like this. Hey, who in this house is Christian? Yes. You are called by the name of Jesus. Yes. Christian means Christ follower. Yes. You are called by his name. Yes. So we know this is going to be speaking about you and me. Yes. Yes, 
the first thing that God says we must do is not to pray. We've been praying and revival has not come. Revival does not come by praying. I've been taught all my life that revival comes by praying. I'm here tonight to tell you revival does not come by praying. If revival came by prayer, the Muslims would have revival. They pray twice a day. I was, I was out driving and I saw a Muslim man pull out his prayer rug and in the rain unroll it and kneel down and put his head down on the ground right in the parking lot. I haven't seen any Christians doing that. Many times when I stand with Christians out in the parking lot to pray, I catch them looking like this. Anybody seeing this funny activity going on out here? Or sitting in the restaurant? Wait a minute. Revival doesn't come by prayer. There has to be prayer if revival's going to come. But revival does not come by praying. Now, this was a very difficult issue for me. Because when the Lord God took me into the desert, and he began to take away all of my money, He began to strip away from me my retirement. He began to strip away the house. I began to lose everything financially. And I would go into my prayer closet, and I would get in that prayer closet at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I would stay on my face in prayer until late into that night, all day on my face, crying out before God. He didn't answer me. My prayers left him unmoved. And then he began to teach me that I had to read the word. And I had to read the word aloud to him. And I began to call that praying the word. And people ask me often, Pastor, what should I do? Should I read the scriptures or should I pray? And my answer is always the same. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures until they drive you to pray. When you can't help but pray, then pray. But revival is not going to come by praying. This church can pray for the next 10 years and revival will not come because that is not the deep truth of revival. Do we need revival? Do we need revival? Wickedness is increasing in the city. Every kind of devastation is happening in our land. 
Does that say we need revival? No. The wicked have always been wicked. Sin has always abounded. That has never been a justification for revival. You need to understand where God's looking. God is looking at those who are called by his name. He's looking at those who are called by his name. He's looking at his people. Where's God's eye tonight in Washington, D.C.? It's not on the White House. It's on your house. How many times I've gone to prayer sessions where we've gathered to pray for revival for our nation and for the city. The city needs revival. God come and revive the city and he hasn't heard our prayers. Or if he's heard them, he's not answered them. So what is the deep truth of revival? How do we begin to enter into revival? This passage of scripture tells us plainly. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. The first step to walk into revival for my life is to humble my heart before God. Any prayers I pray until my heart is humble before God will not have any effect on God's heart. I'm going to have to humble my heart before God. I've been saying, God, what's that mean? What's it mean? What's it mean that I should humble my heart? How does a person humble their heart? It doesn't say, ask me to humble your heart. Come on. Doesn't say that. It says, you humble your heart. You do it. So what am I supposed to do? How do I humble my heart? Well, let me share what I've been struggling with in this. First, I said, well, do I have a proud heart? No. I have a humble heart. So God, listen up. <laughs> this morning, I had to take Jan to the doctor because we're trying to balance out her thyroid. And so we drove into Dr. David Cromwell who's been a family physician and a family friend for many years. We went into his office for our appointment. We were some 
45 minutes late because of the weather. We went up to the window, and one of the staff people said, I see on your form that you have no insurance. Uh, how would you like to pay for this? And she said, this will be $95 for the appointment, and you'll need to pay it in advance. And so I took out my check card to pay for it. And she said, I'm sorry, we don't take any credit cards or check cards. You'll have to pay with cash or with a check. And she was not nice. She was in our face. So I said, OK. Jan went back out to the waiting room. And I went downstairs to get the checkbook. The car was parked maybe half a block away in the rain. I walked to the car. I got the checkbook. I walked back in. And by this time, my heart was not humble. <laughs> and so I gave Jan a check. And I said, I'm going to go back and wait in the car. When you're finished, just come on out. I'll meet you at the front door. And so I went back and sat in the car. If I'm paying $95 for this visit, it's not going to be a friendship visit. Um, no way. This is a man I've been friends with for probably 30 years. Haven't seen him, though, for a while. My telephone rang. My cell phone rang. It was Jan. She said, Ray, I think you need to change your mind and get up here. Why? Well, Dr. Dave just came to the staff member and said he would not accept a check, that there was no payment he would receive from us, that we were family. I humbly <laughs> walked back upstairs and said, thank you. But you see, if I don't have some issue like that, I'm a humble-hearted person. See, as long as no one messes with me, I'm humble-hearted. As long as no one gives me a hard time, no one crosses me, no one asks me for anything that I don't think they should be asking for, I'm humble-hearted. So, Lord, I'm here in my prayer closet, and I'm humble-hearted. What do you want, Jesus? I love you. I trust you. I'm humble-hearted. What's next? Okay, it's time to pray. Come on, bring it on. I can pray. <clears throat> and the heavens are shut up. And there is no answer. And now it's God's fault. It's God's fault. I did what I was supposed to do, and God's not doing what he's supposed to do. I have a humble heart. 
Can't you hear it in my voice? No. Let's talk about a humble heart. A humble heart means I give up all my rights. I give up all my rights. I give up all my rights. I turn it over to Jesus. If you have anxieties in your heart tonight, you're not humble-hearted. You're running the show. If you have things you're worried about tonight, you're not humble-hearted. You're arrogant and proud. If there isn't the peace of Jesus in your heart, you're arrogant and hard-hearted, believing that you somehow can make it through, and all you have to do is strategize this deal correctly. See, what the Lord began to say to me about my heart was, you, you want revival, Ray. But you can live without it. You can make it without it. And I had to say, Lord, I can't make it without it. See, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. But then he didn't just say knock, he said persistently knock, keep knocking. Well, look, I'm willing to ask. I'm willing to ask. I'll go ask anybody for anything that I need to ask them for. I don't mind asking for something. Jan, could you help me with this? Chris, could you help me with this? I need some help with a computer. Could you help me with this? I don't mind asking. But if Chris doesn't respond, I'm not going to ask him twice. You know, who's, who's he think he is? You know, I'll find somebody else. Now, I'm not short on people I can talk to and get help from. Right? I mean, ask once. If you don't get what you want, go somewhere else. I mean, why, why put yourself in the position of seeking? You see, the Lord is saying asking is not enough. Because I can ask and retain my pride. My I can retain my dignity. I can ask you, Kevin, would you mind helping me with? Oh, okay, I don't mind. You're busy. Let me see who else I can talk to. I don't mind that. Hey, what have I lost asking? I haven't lost anything by asking. But what if I stay and I say, Kevin, Please, 
I need your help here. And Kevin says, you know, Ray, I'd do anything I could to help you. You know that I love you. You know that I'm a, I'm a member of the National Prayer Chapel. There isn't anything I wouldn't do. But I promised my wife we'd go out. Now, you wouldn't want me to break this promise to my wife and to my kids. You know, you always said family first, church second. Now, am I going to come back and say, Kevin, I don't have anywhere else to turn. And if you don't come and rescue me in this, I'm going to die. Am I going to say that? Not on your life. I'd rather die than say that. Hey, I need help here, but I don't need it that bad. And there's no way I want Sultana mad at me. <laughs> you know, let's keep the peace here in the family. I mean, why am I going to put myself in a position that looks foolish and let any vulnerability show? Because if I allow vulnerability to show, somebody's going to take advantage of me. You know, who wants to be a part of a church congregation where the pastor is not strong? Am I alone? <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to have a humble heart, I'm going to have to take the steps necessary to humble my heart. I have never once ever had my heart come to me and say, Raymond, I will volunteer to be humble. I've never had my heart volunteer to be humble. It has always fought me every step of the way. It's always felt like I was dying every time I tried to humble my heart. My heart said, you treat me any way you want, but in the end, I've got you. Be somebody. Pick up your pride. Have a little dignity. Yes. You don't want people to see you weak. They won't respect you. You know, how can I go see Dr. Dave? This man that I've known all my life. And he's the big successful doctor traveling the country, multimillionaire. And I'm still a pastor. His daughter just began dating a pastor, a young man training for the ministry. And he said to her, don't even think about it. Break the, break the relationship. Drop him like a hot potato. The last thing you want to ever do is marry a preacher. They don't have two nickels to rub together. 
you're going to shop at Walmart all your life. You can marry rich as quick as you can marry poor. Now, I'm going to humble my heart to this man. I'm going to have to say thank you for giving me $95. I don't think so. He owes it. Do you, do you begin to catch? Yes, Pastor. It's clear as a bell. We don't want to humble our hearts. We want from God what we want with our pride intact. Yes, Jesus. So don't ask me to come into the prayer circle and confess my sin and be vulnerable. Let me come into the prayer circle and pray for the city. Let me come into the prayer circle and pray for my family. Oh, it's okay if I slip in once in a while and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. But, but let's not identify those sins, all right? Just generic sin. I'm a sinner. Everybody here agree we're sinners? Okay, we can all be proud together. And when you begin to look at this issue of a proud heart, how do we begin to get a hold of humbling it when it's controlled our hearts, it's controlled our lives, it's controlled everything we've ever done? How do we grab a hold of that and say, from now on, you are going to be humble? Already my heart would say, okay, I can do that. What do I get out of it? What's the payoff for being humble? And how long do I have to be humble? I mean, I can eat humble pie. I don't, I don't mind eating humble pie. I can admit that I'm wrong as long as it brings peace and gives me an advantage. I mean, it's a good thing to look humble. I mean, you can get a lot of power by looking humble. You can get your way if you look humble enough. So pride doesn't mind using humbleness as a tool in its weapon, arsenal. So how do we come to God and begin to humble our hearts before him? It's obvious that if we're going to come to terms with this issue of humbling our heart, we're going to have to take out pen and paper, and we're going to have to begin identifying those areas we're so proud about. And we're going to have to take that into the prayer closet. See, it says, humble your heart and then pray. Don't pray till you've humbled your heart. You're playing games. Got to humble the heart first. You see, when I really began to look at this and began to weep before the Lord, I said, Lord, now I know why revival hasn't come. 
I've been asking year after year, Lord, why won't you send the Holy Spirit in power? And he kept saying to me, you're too big. And I kept saying, I don't understand, God. I'm beginning to understand tonight. I'm too big. And God's too small. Have you ever looked through a telescope backwards? <laughs> That's the picture. We've got to get smaller. And God's got to get bigger. There's a passage of Scripture, and we need to look at it. It's Pastor James. Pastor James, in the fourth chapter, he begins by saying, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That's haughtiness. That's pride. That's the opposite of a humble heart. So in other words, it's saying that every fight that is stirred up always comes out of a heart that refuses to be humble. All tangles between husbands and wives rise up out of hearts that absolutely refuse to be humble. She's in the wrong. And if she'd just get it right, if she just do it the way I told her to do it. If he would just grow up. If he'd just think. And we get into all kinds of horrible tangles between husbands and wives and children and parents. we don't have humble hearts. We have hearts quick to judge, quick to blame, quick to put down. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill. You want something, you don't get it, so you kill. Oh, you don't murder, but with your heart you do. And Jesus said that's the same as murder. You shed blood by withholding. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So we come to this house and we cry aloud to the Lord for revival. And yet we're asking with a wrong motive because we haven't yet humbled our hearts. We still think we can survive this deal and we're going to get out of it intact. We're not going to have to sacrifice our pride. Look, I'll sacrifice money. I don't care about money anymore. It has no appeal to me. 
I'll sacrifice the money. I'll sacrifice my time. I'll give time until I'm exhausted. I don't mind giving you my time. But do not ask me to give up my dignity. Don't ask me to come and have to ask you and ask you and ask you and ask you. Don't make me get down on my knees and beg. Don't don't make me come and say, I'm going to die if you don't answer the door, Jesus. If you don't come and rescue me, I have nowhere else to go. I'm going to die if you don't come, Jesus. If you don't come with revival power, my family's going to die, and I'm out of it. There's nothing I can do. I can't survive without you, Jesus. Don't make me do that. Because believe me, when the times get tough, the tough get going, and I'm tough. I mean, I just heard a, I just heard a man say his wife has just been diagnosed with cancer. And his response publicly to this crisis was, our family is strong, and we'll make it. Our family is strong, and we're going to make it through this. Have you ever thought that? You know, this is, this is difficult stuff we're having to deal with. But in our love and in our, in our caring, we're going to make it through this. We can make it. If we just hang together, if we just will love each other, we can make it. Well, you know what? When we come to this issue of humbling our heart, we've got to lay down that foolishness. Because we're not going to make it by human power into the kingdom of God. We're either going to make it by the Spirit, or we're not going to make it. So if we're going to come into God's presence with prayers and supplications, we will not be heard if we do not have a humble heart. You see, the measure of a man or a woman's prayer is not the words they say, but the answers they receive. Is the physical realm changed by your prayer? If it is not, you do not have a humble heart. You adulterous people. Verse 4, what's he saying? You adulterous people. He's following the heritage of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Pastor James has been reading them carefully. And he's saying to these people who are members of his congregation, you are adulterous people to God. Why? 
because you're quarreling and you're fighting and you're arguing. You're vying for position. You have a chip on your shoulder. You have an attitude. You think you can somehow make it through holding on to the world and holding on to Jesus. And somehow you think you can make it. He's saying, you adulterous people. You adulterous people. Resist the devil. I'm sorry. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Envies intensely. God wants our heart. And if we're connected in with the pride and arrogance of the human heart, we are enemies of God. Now, go pray for revival as much as you want. There will be no revival until the pride is broken. Because revival does not come by praying. It comes first by humbling our hearts, confessing our sins one to another. James said, confess your sins one to another. Then you'll be healed. So revival, the deep truth, begins with an understanding that I have a task to perform. And that task is a very deliberate task of doing whatever I need to do to crush my pride, to humble my heart. Why would I confess my sin to my brother? There's only one reason to confess my sin to my brother, so that there will be no illusions about my righteousness. So that I can't stand up and say, hey, I got it all together. You ought to be like me. Now, Paul said, be like me, be absolutely weak. In my weakness, I'm strong. In my weakness, I'm strong. He says, I come in and I have fear and trembling. I come in by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have no power. Now that's a humble heart. No pretense. No game. He comes in saying, look, I can't do anything here. I have to come to you tonight and say, the Lord said I had to talk about this, but I don't have any illusions about you deciding to humble your heart because of what I'm saying. God's going to have to convict you. He's going to have to expose your heart. And I have to just confess to you tonight, I do not have a humble heart. I have a heart that knows how to dress up humble, but I have an arrogant, prideful heart. 
And that's blocking the presence of God in this church. And that breaks my heart. What's the condition of your heart tonight? What's the condition of your heart tonight? James, Pastor James goes on. He won't let me off the hook. Verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you know God stands in opposition to the National Prayer Chapel tonight? Oh, my Father. He's called us, and now he stands in opposition to us. His judgment is upon us. Because of my arrogant heart, and because of your arrogant heart. He's called us to pray for revival, but he won't hear our prayers because there's no brokenness of heart. We can come into the prayer circle. We can be very expansive in our prayers. But so what? Nothing happens. Because the one praying is not broken of heart. How do I come off a day of being successful in all that I endeavor to do? And then pray. You know, I would guess that most of you in this room accomplished most of what you wanted to do today. You had your to-do lists. You went through them. You did what you were supposed to do, and you said, okay, now I need to go to church and get some inspiration. Maybe pastor will help build up my sense of self-esteem. I hope that illusion doesn't still exist, but it perhaps might. <laughs> you come here for tonight? Did you come here tonight for Jesus? I did. But there's something in me that stands in the way of Jesus. It's that arrogant heart, that prideful heart that won't humble itself, that won't bow willingly and give up everything. Now, please, let me be very clear with you. I want the fire of God. The fire of God only comes in two places in Scripture. The fire of God either comes against the Hophni and Phinehas, who come into God's presence bringing strange fire, in other words, arrogance. 
or the fire comes in judgment against some other sin and destruction occurs, or the fire comes to the altar of burnt offering. Always God's fire comes and destroys in judgment, or it comes and consumes in holiness. Those are the only two places. Either be destroyed by God's judgment, or be consumed as a burnt offering, a living sacrifice before God. Well, I tell you, I don't like the thought of being tied up and laid on top of an altar. That's not exactly the place I would aspire to. You know, let me aspire to a pulpit with thousands. You know, let me aspire to success. I'll sacrifice anything necessary to make sure my family's taken care of. I don't mind sacrifice. But don't ask me to lay on the altar of burnt offering tied up like a dumb animal. I'm smarter than that. Understand. All that we have gained from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has to be repented of. Only that which is from the tree of life will matter for eternity. I've spent all my life picking every piece of fruit I could get off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, never mind, I've tried always to pick good. I've tried to avoid evil, and I've tried to pick good because I want to be a good person. God never asked me to be good. Nowhere in Scripture am I asked to be good. Jesus said there's only one good. I've only been asked by Jesus to be faithful. Not good. A faithful servant. Not a good servant. You see, this just cuts across. Yes, it does. All that I have in my heart that says, I want to serve Jesus. I want to follow him all the way. I am happy to be a Christian. But don't ask me to let go of my pride. You can have my money, you can have my time, you can have everything I have, but if I let go of my pride, what do I have? Jesus, is he enough? Is he enough? Now I've said, Jesus, you're enough for me until my pride is offended. 
Jesus, you're enough for me until I'm shamed. Jesus, you're enough for me until I see another opportunity. Jesus, you're enough for me. But I like my frosting. Is Jesus enough for you tonight? Listen, submit yourselves then to God. What does the word submit mean? To come under authority. That means to surrender authority. To come under authority. To be subject to authority. To not rebel against authority. You willing to submit to authority? Wives, are you willing to submit to your husbands? Husbands, are you willing to submit to your wives? Children, are you willing to submit to mom and dad without an attitude? Are you willing to submit to your pastor? Is your pastor willing to submit to you? See, the whole deal is submission to Jesus. That's the whole deal. Submitting to Jesus means I have to give up my right to be in charge. I have to give up the idea that I can get Jan to behave in the way I want her to behave. to give up the whole notion that I can get my kids to ever behave the way I want them to behave. If you kids would just behave. Well, what's behave mean? Frankly, it means do it my way. That's what behave means, do it my way. If you kids would just behave. No, it's not about getting kids to behave. It's about getting kids to submit to Jesus. And when the kids begin to submit to Jesus, they'll submit to you, Mom and Dad. Let's finish Pastor James. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, the devil will not flee from you when you have an arrogant heart. He will not leave you so long as you refuse to submit in any area to Jesus Christ. Because he has a foothold into your life. He has authority in your life. Resist the devil. 
he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Do you know what causes me to be most afraid of humbling my heart? If I humble my heart, I'm going to be stomped into the mud. And I don't want to be stomped into the mud. But the scripture says that if I will humble my heart, Jesus will come and lift me up. Now I'm coming to you with a challenge and with a promise tonight. If we at the National Prayer Chapel, beginning with your pastor, if we will deliberately take steps to humble our hearts, God will lift this congregation up. He has brought incredible honor to this congregation. People have said to me, Pastor, isn't it a little bit arrogant of your congregation to be so small and think you can do a radio broadcast five days a week? Isn't that arrogant? No, that's God honoring us. That's not arrogant. That's God honoring us. But if we will humble our hearts, we haven't even begun to see what God will do through us for the lost of this city. But judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Judgment begins in my heart as the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel, and it begins in your heart. Now, what would it look like if you began to humble your heart? First, it would look like giving up all your rights. So that means you would no longer be defending yourself in any area because you only defend when you have rights. Secondly, it would mean that you no longer own anybody. You no longer need anybody. Why don't you need anybody? Because Jesus is enough. Do I need Jan to love me? Will I change my behavior to adjust to Jan so that I can make sure that she fulfills my need to have her love me? If I humble my heart, I no longer need Jan to love me. I no longer need Heidi or April to love me or approve of me. If I humble my heart, Jesus is enough. Now, is Jan going to love me? I pray she'll love me. But whether Jan loves me or not is not my first concern. 
My first concern is, does Jesus love me? And am I walking under his approval? And do I have his blessing on my life? You see, one of the signs that we're humbling our hearts is we give up needing anybody or anything except Jesus Christ. He is enough. What will it look to humble our hearts? It will look like open confession of our sins. No longer hiding, but being straight up. This is what I'm doing, and this is where I'm struggling. And I need you, my brother, my sister, to pray for me. I'm not going to make it if I don't have you praying for me. I need your prayers. I'm not strong. I'm weak. And I've tried to look like I was adequate and strong, but I'm not. I'm broken. When this attitude begins to come into our hearts, as offensive as it is, the power of God will begin to move in this congregation. And he will begin to hear our prayers. He will hear our prayers. Now it's late tonight. I'm going to stop. And Sunday we're going to finish this message. But I ask you tonight to search your heart. If you think you have a humble heart, you've been fooled. I don't see one person in this house who has a humble heart. I see a whole bunch of men and women and boys and girls who've been trained from childhood to be self-sufficient, to be competent, to be strong, to be independent, to have dignity, and to fight for it. By the grace of God tonight, humble your hearts. Lord Jesus, humble my heart. Lord King Ahab, when your judgment came upon him, tore his robes so he didn't look pretty anymore. And he walked around weeping. And you said, because Ahab has done this, in spite of all of his sin, I'm going to postpone judgment until his son. Lord, this was a sinful, wicked man. Lord, I ask tonight that you would show this congregation how to tear their robes. How to break this image of strength and power. To begin walking around weeping that you would have mercy upon us. Lord, I confess tonight I have a prideful heart and I want it broken in the name of Jesus. Amen.